based on what everyone from the outside thinks about the organization, right? What Wall Street thinks about the organization, where I feel very much in a small business that's privately held, you get to make the right decisions for the people, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. For clients, for employees, it's the right decision. What's the right decision to make? Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Cassandra Rose. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Rose, and I am beyond excited to have Kendall Hoover on the podcast with me today. Kendall, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm, once I saw your profile, I was like, oh my goodness, I am so lucky <laughs> <laughs> to have you on. So for everyone who's listening, tell us about your organization, tell us about what you do, and tell us about how you got there. Sure. So Kendall Holberg, I'm the CEO of Dev Technology Group. We're an IT provider in the federal government space. So we basically do application development, modernization, you know, take applications to the cloud for a lot of government organizations. So, you know, we typically say we don't just do IT for IT sake. We try to make sure we're impacting our clients' missions. We want to give them good IT so that all of our experiences as taxpayers that our money that we're, mm-hmm. we're putting into government is used wisely. And, and so I think that's that's a bit of our differentiator. I've been at the company for almost 13 years. It'll be 13 years in January. And I've been CEO at the company for almost five years. It'll be five mm-hmm. years in January. I joined back in beginning of 2018 as a vice president of business development. And then I was promoted to CEO. So that's a little bit about us. Yeah, that's a lot about you. (laughs) One, I appreciate that you're making it an efficiency thing. And the word that I took away from that was mission. You want to make the mission the most efficient and optimized that it can be, which is fantastic. I love that you were able to grow with the organization. You don't hear these tenures as often as you used to, 13 years with an organization. The fact that you went from VP of BD, business development, all the way up to CEO. That's an amazing arc as well. When you first started with the company, is that something that you thought, you know what, I'm definitely going to spend the next two decades here? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I did not think I would be here as long as I have been. I actually, I was at a large organization, a large integrator. We had been acquired I'm about a year before I joined Dev. And I happened to be, at the time we were acquired, pregnant with my second child. I could see the change, right? You see the winds of change when you're in a large organization getting eaten by a larger organization. Mm -hmm. The culture, we were initially a company with a very strong culture that was known throughout the industry. And that started to change with the acquisition. And so I knew I had had to leave. And so I made the decision that I was going to leave the company, but I was going to find the right spot for myself. 
Well, I had a job, so I, you know, I didn't quit. I didn't, you know, get angry and quit. I went and had a baby and took a little leave. And then I came back and then I looked for, figured out what I was going to do when I grew up. And I knew Dev because Dev was actually a small business who my prior company had worked with before. And I didn't know that I would end up here. I talked to them. I actually started my own company. I actually looked at going into the government space. So I didn't know that I would be here. And and the reason I actually chose to go to Dev right on the heels of also launching an LLC was because what I realized was I thought I wanted to run a business, but I didn't know how small businesses ran. I had Mm -hmm. done a lot of different jobs of a degree in computer science and an MBA. And so I had like seven or eight different distinct jobs at my large company, but I never really got to see how the company ran. I got to do a lot of jobs in it. And I knew that would translate to a small business, but I didn't know exactly how. So I I was 100% transparent from the day of the interview onward that, hey, you know, I really want to start my own business. I do have this LLC, but I'd, I'd love to come to Dev, help you meet some of your goals as a company, but also help me meet some of my goals to learn about a business. And the, mm-hmm. the leadership team at the time was very open to that. So that's how I ended up. So I thought I'd be here a couple of years. Fast forward, you know, 13 yeah. years. Well, technically, you now run your own company. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, yeah. In a way. So it all worked out. And what I love about your story is that entrepreneurial spirit. I think sometimes people in larger organizations don't get credited with that because you're like, well, you're cog in the machine, but you can still innovate. You can still, you know, rethink how things are done. And like you said, you had so many different roles within that organization that you could Mm -hmm. restart again and again. Of course, It does feel good with a safety net of like health insurance. Um, But then you were willing to not just go out on your own, but take the time to go, you know what? Maybe I need to learn from someone who's already doing it and be in the startup space when it was just getting to this like heated point. So Mm -hmm. what would you say has been the biggest difference of working for a massive organization and then now working for an organization that has grown and has Mm -hmm. scaled tremendously, but essentially was a startup when you joined? Yeah, so we were an old startup, but we were small, right? And it was intentionally so. Our founders wanted the small kind of company where they were handpicking all of the employees. And so when I joined, we were about 40 employees. I think the biggest difference was I did everything. Like there wasn't, you know, I was in business development and strategy before I left the large company. And then I came to lead business development and really build it out here at this company but the big difference was the people, like we had no people. I was a people, right? When I joined, <laughs> when I joined Deb, it wasn't like, you know, being at the large company where if I'm working on a, a proposal, I've got like 20 of my closest friends, all who have a specific expertise, right? In this thing that we need to deliver to the client to try and win new work. Here, we didn't have any of that. We had matrix support from at the time, I think, you know, he's now our president and CFO, but at the time he had a different title. I think he might've been the SVP and, you know, and then our CEO, she gave a little bit of her time. And then we did have, you know, another person who they had just hired before me, who they decided not to put on a project and keep her in corporate to help. And so it all just kind of came together and that roll up your sleeves and just get it done. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what your job title is you do what you need to do to be successful at a small company. You know, that was the biggest difference. And then I think the second biggest difference is, right, coming from a large publicly traded organization, 
I feel like a lot of the leadership decisions are made based on what everyone from the outside thinks about the organization, right? What Wall Street thinks about the organization, where I feel very much in a small business that's privately held, you get to make the right decisions for the people, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. For clients, for employees, it's the right decision. What's the right decision to make? Because the only, you know, at the time when I joined, there were only two shareholders and they were our founders and they wanted a company that was about people and put people first. So many of the things you said, I don't know if I should send you a check because you talked about most of Fringe's values (laughs) in your statements about being the entrepreneur, rolling up your sleeves. Like we're all the janitors here, staying humble because it's easy for you to be like, well, don't you know what my title is? It's VP. I need people (laughs) to come in and do this work. And I think they're, audience members who are literally lifting their hands like, yeah, that's me. I'm the janitor and the president (laughs) and somewhere in between. So what was the turning point where you started to grow and then continue this culture of handpicking really excellent talent, but now you're extending your network to people you don't know, just people you have to trust coming in and that they were going to grow the organization and share the vision. How did you go and scale that? The reason that they wanted me to join Dev back then, right, being kind of this building out this BD organization was because at that point, the company was pretty much solely a subcontractor. So we had no prime contracts of our own. We were beholden to all of the large companies that were our prime contractors. So when they decided that our rates need to be lower, they lowered our mm-hmm. rates. And we had to live with it. When they decided that there was no longer space for us, they squeezed this out, right? And and so the leadership at the time made the decision that they wanted to be more stable organization, a prime contractor, because unless they did and could control their own work, they couldn't keep the stability for the employees, right? They couldn't keep the promises they made to, to the folks who joined a small company and they told they would have careers. And so I joined to build that, right? So I joined to help the company transition to being a grown-up prime contractor. You know, we called it our awkward teenage years um, <laughs> and where we were making that transition because it, it is a transition for an organization, right? Especially in the space that we're in, in the federal government space. There's lots of laws. There's lots of regulations. There's lots of policies and procedures. And when you're not that prime with that direct relationship with the government clients, you don't really have all of that. You have the responsibility, but not in the same way. So we had to grow our back office pretty quickly. And so I joined and I went to help win work. That was my job. Go find the work, win it. We had a couple of big targets. You know, we hit those targets and, you know, we kind of completely blew past our goal of being having 50% of our own prime work and 50% of subcontract work. We went straight from like zero to 80% prime work Wow! within about a year, year and a half. And so that was my job. Once that happened, that's when the growth just happened. So once we had control of our own contracts and, you know, we're able to talk directly with our clients, we're able to grow our employees and get them developed wherever we wanted to have them developed. We didn't have to, you know, fit into the box that these other companies put us in. Um, that's when the growth really started. And, and it just, it slowly happened. We won one contract, then the next, then the next. And then next thing you know, you know, we're over 250 employees. And so it's, it was a great journey. It's been super fast, right? 13 years feels like two days. Although I think back and I remember all the tough days. So it was just an evolution of like slowly winning the work and continuing to just roll up your sleeves and do it again. And then, okay, now we need to hire a bunch of employees. And 
So, and, you know, I once heard another leader from a, a business that had grown from small to, to large say, you know, when you're really small, there's like a handful of people and you all wear like 10 different hats. And then as you grow and you get bigger, you bring in more people and you give some of your hats away. And that's mm. really what we did. As we grew, we brought in more people. We gave some of our hats away. We brought in experts who could help us in things like contracts and accounting and, right, like you just grow your team, HR and talent. So so you need to trademark that. Give your hats away. That should be like- <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Write it down. <laughs> give your hats away. And I love that you're able to showcase the story of going from 40 employees to 250 employees, because some people think that hyper growth is the only way to get to success, right? Like go to a thousand, 10,000, and some organizations need to do that. But what about the way that you work? Because you're doing not just IT, but IT for the government. I'm sure there's a lens or some spotlights that hit you and you're like, we need to make sure we're doing this as pristinely as possible. Mm -hmm. So what has been the way that you thought about growth and how that actually translates into success for you? The way that we approached growth and especially kind of in the earlier years, we didn't want, like we knew what we were good at, right? We knew what we were good at and we wanted to grow slowly in concentric circles out from there. We mm. didn't ever take a giant swing into something we didn't have any experience with because what you'll find in the government, once you have a contract, they keep you around, but they can make you really miserable if you're not performing. <laughs> and then once you're not performing, word spreads pretty quickly and then you're not getting any more contracts. So we wanted to make sure the work that we took on was work that we could deliver. That if, you know, push came to shove and our technical, we have our two founders, one is technical, one was an HR consultant. So hence our people first culture. Our technical founder, when he wanted in those early days to say, to be able to say to a client, if it wasn't going well, that he could come and help and make it go right. Right. And mm -hmm. we all kind of started to embody that. So that's, we grew slowly in concentric circles. And that was important. Government is a long game. You know, I've talked to some of my peers who have commercial businesses who do the similar type of work that we do for the commercial space. And it's just different, right? Like they can go have a conversation and, you know, oh, that sounds like a great idea. A month later, they're sitting there with a contract that never happens to government. It's so <laughs> right. Like it's months and months and months. Mm -hmm. So it's a long game. And it's, and because of that, it's a relationship play. So, you know, I don't go try to sell anyone anything. I go to try and build a relationship. I want them to trust mm -hmm. us. I want them to believe that we can deliver what they need us to deliver so that their mission is attained. But I don't ever go in like in a hard sell. And so I think our team has all kind of embodied that. It's really about the relationship, understanding what they need, and then determining whether we're the right choice. Because if we're not, we don't want to be there. It's just different in that way. So there's a few things that you've shared, Kendall, and maybe we can even go prior to you joining DevTech Group, relationship building, being a women-owned company, you know, making sure that you're creating a people-first culture. These are terms that are trendy right now. I think some organizations have put in a lot of effort, you know, to make it happen. Some organizations are still like, is this something we should do? But it seems like this has been embedded in the DNA of your organization from the beginning. So talk to me a little bit about how that was revolution, literally revolutionary for an organization that started in 1998 mm -hmm. and how you're making that still happen today. Yeah. So 
That's an amazing. And I tell the story on behalf of our two founders a lot. So Susie Sylvester and Sanjeev Dougal founded the company in 98, like you said. When I asked them why they founded it, right, Sanjeev was just tired of working for large companies. And he worked for some of the largest companies, some software companies, some services companies. But he always felt like he was being kind of used, right? Like mm. they didn't really care about him. They just needed him to do the work and build the hours. And, and so he wanted, he was tired of that. He's like, I can do this and we can do it better. And, you know, I can have more impact on our clients if we run our own business. And so he convinced Susie, who is, was an HR consultant and saw some of the worst, some of the worst cultures in her consulting roles. And so for her, it was, what if we could build something different, a different type of government contractor, a different type of IT company who really put people first, put our clients first, put our employees first, and really didn't, you know, the money will come, right? And that kind of has been the philosophy. So Sanjeev wanted to deliver on the mission. Susie wanted to create this company that put people first. And so hence, that was the foundation for Deb. And we all were onboarded initially by Susie and Sanjeev. Um, so that just became part of why we wanted to be here, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You don't come here if that's not what you want. It's clear that that's part of who we are and, and how we've, we've developed the company. And then in 2018, we did our reorg and Susie promoted, she promoted herself to executive chair of the board and she promoted me to CEO and we did some other shifts. We had a new CFO and president who was in the company, was promoted as well. We promoted a new COO. And it was the three of us who had been, you know, kind of the most instrumental in working with Susie and Sanjeev on kind of that culture and and where we were headed and what we needed to do next. So, you know, they felt comfortable kind of promoting us into those roles. And so it's never really for us been a turnaround story. It's always been, let's just build that next layer on top Mm. of where what we already have. Like I'm constantly looking at like, what else could we do better, right? To have our employees engage, right? What can we do better from a business development standpoint to really touch different clients? Like who do we know? Like who should we be developing relationships with? What capabilities do we keep hearing about in the space, but maybe we haven't refined enough in the company So, you know, we're constantly just building, trying to improve. And I think that is what has made that difference and what has allowed us to keep our core, keep our culture, keep our values while continuing to grow. And I'll just add as well, so our founder, Susie, she used to call us when I first joined and I was like, you have to stop saying that. She used to call us like, it's like the tortoise and the hare. She would call Dev the tortoise. Like we were like, well, but we would eventually win the race. And I was like, you can't tell people that story. And so I like forbid her from saying it. And then she would tell people that I used to call it the tortoise, but Kendall said, I can't say that anymore. So <laughs> I'm like, in BD, that doesn't work. But that story doesn't right. work. But it's true. But it is true. We have kind of just taken that slow path to growth, but it's created a very stable environment. I love that. And I, I want to read through your values because not only have you showcased that you can grow slow and be successful and still be people first and still be profitable, but that you are using that as your North star to navigate challenges that none of us saw coming. So your values are integrity, respect, collaboration, innovation, resilience, and community. And I love 
please feel free to laugh at this. I love that these are words that we should all be treating each other with (laughs) in the workplace. But the fact that collaboration and community, those are the two that stood out to me, are so important that you're like, no, these need to be our values. We're not just creating something that fly by night, overnight success, people are just coming in. It's we want to be longstanding. We want to invest in our community. We want to make sure those tax dollars are working for the best way possible. And that just shines through. So how have you used these values to navigate the pandemic, return to office? Let me see what else hard thing I got you. DEI, right? Just making sure that there's equity in the workplace. There's been so many things that we've all gone through collectively within these last two or three years that maybe in different pockets of the world and industry we've talked about, but has become front and center. So how do you use your values to continue to guide you? Yeah. So our values are super important to us. So in 2018, when we did the reorg and I became CEO, writing down our values was the first thing that we did. It was one of the very first in that first quarter because we were shifting, right? We were shifting from a founder run company who, and our founder met every single like new employee to a company that was growing and we're now having different people do the interviews and and mm-hmm. do selections and all of that. And so what just came natural, right, to our founder, we needed to codify so that we could easily share it with everyone. And so we actually took an approach with our values where we wanted to get input from everybody, the whole company, because we didn't want to just sit sit there and corporate in our corporate office and pick values that we thought everyone would agree with. We wanted to get some input. And so we actually were able to pull some words from an employee survey that we had done from all of our employees. We met with our managers. They gave us a bunch of words, you know, values that they thought the company espoused. And then our leadership team kind of did the last leg of that where we kind of wrote down our own, what we thought our values were, and then brought every all the words together, all the potential mm. together, and we crunched it down. And it was a like a voting and a like <laughs> prioritization. And then we picked our words and then we wrote our definition. And so some of the words that didn't make it to the top six show up in our definitions. And so that was important. So we really believe in our values. We talk about our values all the time. I send out emails about our values and getting through things like the pandemic, but even before that in government, we've had government shutdowns where we're not right. Where, you know, and employees have to leave the, you know, they can't go to their client site. You know, we've had sequestration and we always try to make our decision based on our values. And if, if we're heading in a, down a path or someone's heading down a path and it doesn't align to one of, to those six values, we pull them back. We yank it back because we have to always recenter there. I mean, we've made some very tough decisions based on the values, decisions like, all right, well, we're not being paid and we don't know when this government shutdown is going to end. But and we have this group of people who is directly impacted, but we don't want to dock pay. We don't want to furlough. We just don't mm. want to families. Like, how can we do that? We know that it's tough. And so We have honest discussions with our employees. We tell them we're making these values-based decisions. We ask them to help us some. Can you take a little PTO while we also, you know, you can then spend time doing training. Like we try to make it all work together. And and that that is important. COVID was a big one. I mean, who would have ever thought? And that first week when right before everything shut down, we decided to shut down before anyone shut down. We decided to move some people home before our clients told us we could send people home, which is important because our contract state 
where we have to be located. Interesting. Yeah. So we had an early case of COVID in our building, wasn't one of our employees, but in our building in DC. And when that email went out to everybody from the building manager, no one wanted to come into the office, right? Mm -hmm. It was scary at that point. No one wanted to take Metro or, you know, any other public transportation. And most of them did to get to our DC office. So we told everybody, don't come in the office, work from home. If you need to go get your stuff, get your stuff, whatever you need, just take it, go home. And then we called our client and we said, look, here's what's going on. No one's going to be in the office next door. We're telling them they can work from home. They're all fully functional from home. And then within a week or so, that started happening everywhere. But we, you know, we made some choices there to respect our employees. Um, But we did so also in consultation with our clients. We said Mm -hmm. the best approach, the the last thing that any of us needs, us or our clients, is for a team of people. They need to support them to be out sick. You know, it, it wasn't beneficial. So. You know, we certainly leverage those values. You know, we, by and large, 99.9% of our team members kind of took on the challenge, worked harder, worked more efficiently. We leveraged kind of our value around respect and integrity, right? When people Mm -hmm. are working from home, we had a few parents who were questioning whether they could work. And, you know, we told everybody, all of our managers, like, look, we want to allow them an environment where they can work be flexible. Like if we know we want cameras on, like we're asking for that. But if someone is there and they have their five-year-old or six-year-old in school next to them and they can't have their camera on or they have to take care of someone in the morning, it's fine. Like, or can you shift meetings for them? Can they not? Like, so we were trying to be ultra flexible because we knew it was tough on, on everyone. You know, and I think the final story around values and COVID that I'll tell is, Do you remember when we had the surge? I think it was last year. I don't even remember. It all kind of like runs together. And there were tests, like you couldn't find a COVID test. Yes. Yep. So we decided that it was the right thing to do to buy bulk tests and then ship them or deliver them to our employees. And so me and our VP of HR, we're like on Amazon, we're finding, you know, like this bulk (laughs) 500, you know, COVID test. And we like ship them to our office and then we're, you know, distributing them. And we had one, you know, so she is driving tests to house. Wow. We had another employee who really needed tests. She was really sick. Her son was really sick and she had tried to get appointments for testing. She just couldn't. And, you know, I was like, look, I'll drive them to her house. I will take her the tests and I'll leave them on her porch. And so I like gather up these tests and I drive them. And I was like, well, I'm in the store. I'm at Trader Joe's. Let me see. I'll get some snacks, you know, like I'll get some soup. And right. So I'm like getting her. So like I packed this whole bag of stuff and then the COVID test and I leave them on her porch. And like, that was like, but it just seemed like it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to her house anyway. I was at the store. But it was, it's like an urban legend, like a little bit in the company that I like would go and do this as a CEO. But I mean, I don't know. I don't, I sit in a normal office with my door open all the time. And so for, to me to like, just be a human with our employees, it just seems like we all should be doing it. Like you said, (laughs) all be living these values. So. I mean, that's a great story. And I hope that people take away from it. The fact that, like you said, I just saw a need. That was it. It wasn't, 
can I get an admin or someone junior in my team? Someone in my organization needed something that I could provide. And I met that need. Mm-hmm. And we need to get over this, like, almost like the celebrity thing where I think sometimes we feel like CEOs are superheroes. And I'm sure you needed things at times. You were like, I'm going to take a COVID yeah. test home too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it was so, and I try not to ever be that way, right? That like I'm some, I meet every single employee on the first day, you know, myself and our, our president CFO, we meet every single employee on their first day and we like go over our culture and this is what the company is about. And we do it not because we think everyone's going to retain everything we say, but it's really about the fact that you've met me. I'm a real person, <laughs> right? I can tell you a real story. I'll tell you about my family. I'll tell you, you know, where I live. And so if there's ever a question or an issue or we see each other, you know, in the kitchen, I'm just normal, like say hello, because we don't want there to be all of these false hierarchies and all that. I mean, that's just, Mm -hmm. no, there's no use in that in a company. I love that. And that's pretty much where Fringe is at this point in our culture as well. We're 70 people growing really quickly, but the founders still are part of the interviews. If not the interviews, then they want to be part of that first week. In addition to our Fringe Foundations, where all of the founders meet with all of the recent new hires. So it's amazing to hear your story about that, but exactly taking that next step. I like what you said of moving from a founder first company to codifying these practices. So that way we make sure we're still supporting, leading, listening, but there's other leaders in the organization who can continue that work to free up the founders to go focus on other things. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that, all companies, including yours, I'm sure, is trying to figure out is like, how do we do all this in this new world order, right? Like Mm -hmm. home and most haven't come back. (laughs) I don't know. I would assume it's it's similar, right? In a lot of companies, like we, we sent people home like back in 2020 and most have not come back to an office more than, you know, an occasional visit. And so, you know, I think that is hard on culture. I think we struggle with it a bit, but, you know, again, like I, I see my, my particular role and I tell all employees this on their first day, right. I'm always scanning the organization to see where we can improve, right. And see what we need to do to become who we're going to be as a company in, in 12 to 18 months from now. I'm like constantly looking forward, looking at strategy. And part of that too, is what can we do better right, to serve our employees? How can we get them to engage more? Now that we're in this hybrid model, it's here. We're going to embrace it. You know, we're shutting down some offices. We're actually in swing space right now because we're building out a new smaller headquarters office, but one that's more apt to the new way of working, right? Like I want rooms that you go into and you can teleconference seamlessly. Like we just hit a button and the people show up on the screen and the people show up in the room and we're all working together. Like there's lots of teams rooms and all that sort of stuff. And so I think, you know, we're doing that right through a lot of our programs for employees, whether it's our wellness program or, you know, we have a fun patrol. We Wait, wait, hold on. I got to stop. You have a fun patrol? Please yeah. elaborate on that. Yeah, so our fun patrol is is tasked with doing fun things <laughs> for the organization. Like, let's find fun things to do. So our fun patrol, like they're responsible for our annual holiday party, which up until this year hasn't happened for a few mm-hmm. years. But instead, like last year, we did a spring, a drive-through 
fun fest in the spring. And we like literally had people come with their kids and they would have stations and they would drive from station to station and there would be a game they could play from their car. And like we oh, amazing. Plays, right. So the fun patrol plan that, right. Like, so we had a fall fest last year instead of a holiday party, which was outdoors again, trying to be COVID safe and see if fun patrol plans that. So the fun patrols is in charge of fun. If they're hiring, let us know, please. Okay, I'll let let you know. And then the latest thing we did, which we decided we wanted, again, to community, since you pointed out community, we did our first annual Dev Week of Service, which we literally did a seven-day-long stretch of service projects for different organizations. I think we ended up supporting six different organizations and we did it in a hands-on way. It was things we could go do versus, Mm -hmm. you know, just writing a check. And then we had our our employees who are not located here in the DMV go do something in their communities. And then we just asked them to tell us what they did and post pictures. And so it's been, it was a lot of fun, a huge success. We did a lot. And I think I went to like four different events. So it was pretty cool. It sounds like you're living your values in so many ways, not just in client service, internally with your own people. And then, like you said, investing back into the community. And I think that's the holistic approach that every organization that wants to grow and wants to be long term Mm -hmm. does. Some of the things that we do at Fringe, we have paid volunteer days, two of which we make sure we shut down the organization and everyone is involved in like one theme. But we also encourage our employees, you're passionate about things outside of work. We know that. If anything, that's something that makes you even more special to being part of the organization. Go advocate. Go support what you feel you need to do to make your community a better place, not just for yourself, but everyone who lives in it. And I'm just so happy we got to have this conversation. So I have one final question for you as we wind down. Knowing all that you know, knowing that you went into that interview thinking, I'm going to start my LLC in two weeks <laughs> or two years. I'm just going to learn from here and then you utilize that. What would you have said to yourself, a mom of two young kids, then knowing all that you know now? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I think I would have told myself to trust my gut that it would all work out in the end. And regardless of where the path led me, that's where I, exactly where I was supposed to be. I have nothing else to say because that's <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, that's the advice we should all take from this. Well, Kendall, it was such a pleasure getting to hear your story, getting to hear about this organization. It sounds amazing. I know not every person who's listening to the podcast is a government entity that can obtain your services, but if they want to learn more, about you, your organization, what work you do, what's the best way to get in contact? Yeah, so they can certainly link in with me on LinkedIn and say they heard heard me on the podcast, um, but also devtechnology.com. They can reach out to us and we do support, we could support other organizations, but you know, we put our resources in focused on the government, but we have done a little commercial as well in the past. Amazing. Well, from every taxpayer on behalf of them, (laughs) I say thank you so much for the work you're doing. And I would love to have you on the podcast again. So maybe sometime next year. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kendra. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. 
With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.